0: Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small
1: adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast. The gig economy is empowerment. This new business paradigm empowers individuals to better shape their own destiny and leverage their existing assets to their benefit. And that's a quote from John McAfee, and it's reflective of the times we're in. More and more companies are relying on freelancers for time-sensitive projects, However, business owners are having a difficult time understanding what service or platform to utilize and how to vet the talent they seek. And that leads me to my guest today, who is CEO and co-founder at CareerGig, and he's none other than Greg Kilstrom. Now, Greg is a best-selling author, speaker, and entrepreneur. He's worked with some of the world's top brands, including AOL, Choice Hotels, Coca-Cola, Dell, FedEx, Geico, Marriott International, MTV, Starbucks, Toyota, and VMware, He currently serves on the University of Richmond's Customer Experience Advisory Board, was the founding chair of the American Advertising Federation's National Innovation Committee and served on the Virginia Tech Pamplin College of Business Marketing Mentorship Advisory Board. Now, Greg was named a 2018 50 on Fire winner from DC Inno as one of DC's trendsetters in marketing. Now, he's a regular contributing writer to Forbes and has been featured in publications such as Advertising Age, Smart CEO, website magazine and the washington post he's also guest lectured at several schools including vcu brand center georgetown university duke university american university university of maryland howard university and virginia tech and greg's newest book the center of experience released this year talks about how customer and employee experience can be operationalized into a cohesive brand experience greg it's great to have you on the show welcome to the one broken cog podcast
0: Oh, thanks so much. Thanks, thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking with you.
1: Yeah, same here. Now I have to ask right away, Kilström. I love the name. I have a sneaking suspicion that you're Scandinavian, but I love to confirm what your background is because I do love the name.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, Kilström is a Swedish name. So my grandfather came over, um, came over to Ellis Island from uh, from Sweden. Wow. You know what?
1: Same thing. I have great stories from my grandfather who came here directly from Sweden and his parents were movers in Chicago and they would, he would tell me stories of them being pulled over by Al Capone's mafia and shaken down. And my dad still has the gun that my grandfather used to protect himself on those routes. So uh, (laughs) it's great to talk to a fellow Swede. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, Greg, I know, you know, you're an entrepreneur. You started a digital experience agency back in 2003, sold it in 17. Then you started career gig in 2020. What led you to the decision to go out on your own and start your journey as an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, sure so I think uh, my my second job out of college was for a startup back in uh, this will date me a little bit but back in you know late 90s early 2000s the early, you know the beginning of the internet boom and so I was excited got a job thought I was gonna be a millionaire with my stock options or whatever and like many other people at that time, had a great ride, enjoyed the, enjoyed working at, at that company, but um, you know, they hired a lot of people and had to let a lot of people go because they just, you know, they ran out of funding. So at at that point, I was in my early twenties at that point. um, I just decided that, you know, I didn't really want to work for anybody else again. And I didn't want to get in a position where I worked for something. I'm one of those people I feel very passionately about whatever I'm working on. And, I didn't want to get in that situation where I put all this time and, and investment, emotional investment and time investment in, and be laid off a couple of years later and and sort of that that loss of control. So I um, started my own company. I mean, first I started freelancing actually, which you know well, we can get back to, to to that in a little bit as well. But um, I started freelancing for a little bit, and I just you know for for one reason or another, I was I was pretty successful freelancing and. I got so busy that I had to make the decision either I, you know, start turning down customers because I, there was enough demand or start, you know, finding team members, start a company basically. And I, I chose the latter route. And I, so I, I started Carousel 30, my, uh, my marketing and, and digital experience agency back in 2003. So end, end of that year. So you know, we saw the rise of social media marketing, we saw the rise of personalization and marketing automation and all, you know, all of these, all of these things. And we weren't always first adopters, of course, but we got to work with a lot of big brands because we were doing a lot of things early. And, you know, it was a, it was an exciting thing. And I, I, I loved that, that experience and building a company and, and stuff. And, uh, you know, also after 14 years, I was also excited to to sell it and, and kind of think about my next steps. That oh, sounds great.
1: And now why did you decide to sell it in 2017?
0: Yeah, I, I think after, after over a decade of running it, I saw, again, got to do things that I'm, I'm proud of and and a lot of new things and and learned a lot, but I just, I felt like my ability to innovate within that realm within the marketing and, and digital realm had I I guess I, I felt like I'd peaked for the time being. I'll, I'm sure I'll be back in it at some point in my career, but at that time I just felt like I did as much as I could really do, and and wanted to see first what I did. I mean, I sold I sold the agency to a larger company, and the, they rolled up a few agencies into one, and and so we became uh, at at a point the largest independent agency in in DC. They might still be that um, today even, but so you know that my first my initial goal was you know what, I did as much as I could with my own agency, Carousel 30, let me join a bigger one and, and do some bigger things um, with, with, a, with a team. And so I did that for a little bit. I, you know, I stayed out my, uh, my transition time there and, and then just decided to go my own way and, and, and see what was next. I, I, I did a lot in the marketing and, and, and experience realm and, and wanted to get into some other, I got kind of excited about customer experience and then employee experience Um, and so, you know, wanted to try some new things. Oh, that's great. Great. How was the process of selling the business? You know, we have
1: business owners here that are in the process of doing it. Now, any advice on the selling and negotiating process, uh, you know, maybe attracting buyers and maybe what you learned from the selling process?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, so. I will be the first to say that you know, when I started Carousel Thirty in my you know early twenties, I had no idea about finances, no idea about business operations. I just, I was a designer and I I could write HTML and I did Flash pro. You know, I did I did all this stuff and I, I it's the it's the classic entrepreneur fallacy, I guess you could say, which is. I thought that starting a company doing that would allow me to do that all day long. And I'd just be happy doing it. And you end up doing a lot of other things besides uh, what you're good at. And so I, I had other people and I partnered with other people to do, to do a lot of the operational and financial stuff that just wasn't um, in my wheelhouse. But towards the end, the, the last four years that I owned Carousel 30, I actually bought my other, I had two other partners at the time bought both of them out. And when I made that decision to, to buy them out, I, I still wasn't a hundred percent sure either I was going to buy a company of my own and grow organic or, you know, grow through that plus organically, or um, I was going to get acquired. I knew I, I wanted to make a big move once I bought my partners out. First thing I did, and, and this is my advice to anyone, I, I brought on a, I had a good operations person with me, you know, really good, but I brought on a fractional CFO and you know we we're a small company we we're less than 20 people so you know not a not not a huge org that would need a full time CFO anyway but I brought on a really good CFO that knew specialized in mergers and acquisitions in the marketing and ag- advertising agency world and so I made sure that all of my documentation everything that I needed to do to show profitability and utilization and all those numbers that I never really worried about before, um, I made sure all of that stuff was taken care of. And, and second thing, beyond just bringing someone on, I made sure that I understood at a, very, you know, at a very minute detail exactly what went into those numbers. And so I could speak intelligently to it. And I'll confess, like I said earlier, I, I wasn't someone that took that stuff incredibly seriously um, before, but now I'm so glad that I did that. Oh, that's wonderful. So, why pivot to career gig
1: in the freelance marketplace?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting journey there. So, when when I once I sold the agency, um, I, I like I said, I, I joined. I joined yes End as the the company that that acquired us. After that, I, I started doing some consulting in in what started in the customer experience realm, but quickly led me to employee experience, and then really workforce workforce transformation future of work, like all of the, all of those things. And I got really, really into, I, I, the, the book you mentioned, Center of Experience is really the result of me researching and, and um, the relationship between all of this outward facing stuff. So I spent, you know, my entire career in marketing and and what the outside world thinks of a brand and and how customers interact at that level. But what I really what I really did was tie all of that external stuff to internal metrics and process and and everything. So in other words, you can't have happy customers without happy employees. And so what makes happy employees, uh, you know, very short um, summary would be, it starts with leadership setting the right tone and the right culture, and then building the right type of employee experience. And then when you have really happy employees, that understand the purpose and the mission and the values of the organization, the customer stuff, nothing's easy, but the customer stuff gets a lot easier to do. And so I got, I got so much into that, that I I started diving deeper into just trends in the, in the workforce. And that just quickly led me and my, my founding partners to um, just the rapid growth of the freelance economy and just how much, I mean, so Yeah, as of last year, 36% of the workforce um, was doing some kind of freelance work that's estimated to be, and these are pre-COVID forecasts, that's estimated to be 50% of the U.S. workforce by 2027. So I would say those numbers are going to be even more so just because of what's been going on the last several months with the pandemic. But, you know, so just seeing that massive shift in the workforce to, you know, in 1977, 9% of the workforce did freelance work. And so we're going to be at 50% by 2027. So, you know, you can see the the shift here. So, you know, we just wanted to do that. And we also wanted to solve some big problems that we feel like current platforms and providers and and other systems just aren't um, solving for. And a big one for freelancers is offering them benefits so they can um, really function as if they were a full-time employee that gets health insurance and life and disability and all that kind of stuff. But have the freedom to be a freelancer. That's amazing. I'm going to talk about that later in more detail. Why do you think this space is so popular? Yeah, I think uh, you know a, a number of things. I, I think I've I've lived through three financial crises in my career. So you know there was 2002, you know 2001, 2002. There was 2008, 2009, and now you know we're living through another one. And the causes were were different to you know in in each case, but the results were the same, right? So. 2002 really brought the rise of social media, social networking, and um, this idea of more like peer-to-peer relationships. 2009 brought really the gig economy as we know it. I mean, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb—all all of those things came out in you know around 2010ish, um, you know, following the the financial crisis, and so. and and now we're seeing a a massive rise in the, in the knowledge worker space and freelancing. And I think, you know, it really comes down to, man, we keep, we keep thinking that getting a full-time job is going to get us that like gold watch and retirement. And, you know, we will, our pension and all these kinds of things. And we keep being reminded that, you know what, that, that never existed in my lifetime. And, you know, uh, and, and it's not going to come back like that, that world, you know, it sounds nice, and I think there's sitcoms about it from the 50s and 60s or something. But that world just doesn't exist anymore. And so, people need agency and independence to make their own, you know, make their own fortunes, make their own destinies. And you know, not everybody is an entrepreneur and is going to start the next Facebook or whatever. But they can be independent and they can earn their own living and and have destiny and over their own lives. Or you know, they can also have the freedom and flexibility to do what they need to, if they've got kids that need um, extra care, if they have a spouse or partner that can't work, if they've got parents are taking, you know, all of those, you know, all of those things, or simply they just want the freedom to make as much money and work from wherever or however much they want. Um, I think people are, you know, the, the platforms and the technology exists to allow that now.
1: No, definitely. Now what was the toughest element of starting and getting career give off the ground?
0: yeah so you know I think the um, we we did this and we did it pretty quickly so um you know we we've been talking about I, I have two co-founders and, and a few other people that that started the company with me um you know we'd been talking about a few big ideas that we wanted to solve and the benefits was one of them there's there's some other things as well but we really got started in earnest in, I would say in, you know, January of, of this, of 2020 and launched the, our, our minimum viable product in July. So, you know, we had about a, you know, six month runway to get, get everything off the ground. You know, I would say just coordinating partnerships. So, you know, we've got partnerships with insurance providers. There was a lot of regulatory um, things that we needed to figure out as far as, can we actually do some of these things? Can we actually offer benefits to freelancers and, and all that kind of stuff? So there was that. There was just you know vetting the technology. So I think it's the the magnitude of the problem required just big thinking and getting large organizations to move much more quickly than they may have previously. But you know, I think everybody's motivated to solve these problems for you know, for a number of different reasons. but I think the pandemic, you know on, on one hand, it sounds like, it's a terrible time to start a company, but on the other hand it was it was the perfect time because you know everyone was was motivated to um to try to figure some of this stuff out
1: no absolutely now should people be wary about hiring off a platform similar to this like is there a vetting process for the contractors you work with
0: yeah so what what we do and and that's that's one of that's the other big um challenge that that we solve in addition to benefits is just thinking through how let's I'll just say how the web handles reputation, right? So we take a very, not only transparent, but a very objective and quantitative approach. And I'll, 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 clarify what that means. So the, the flip side of that is so, you know, you go to some of these sites and there's this five-star rating system, right? And so um, I've signed up and we've all, we've all seen this stuff and you know, whether it's, um, a, a ride share service or or a freelance platform or whatever, you see these people and they've got like a thousand five star ratings and so okay who actually are these people? I mean it's it's like the Yelp thing. It's like I've I've taken restaurant reviews from people that I've never met and will never meet and may not even be real people, but they gave that restaurant a five star rating. So I went and, and ate there, right? So it's the same thing with those. And so, you know, if if it's that easy to game, if I can get a hundred of my closest friends to give me a five-star rating, why should I trust that method? Or, you know, other things where you can give recommendations to people for um, skills or, or abilities or whatever. And, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten recommendations from people on, on various platforms and I don't know them. I have no idea how they think they know whether I'm skilled at that or not. And so, I'll take the, you know, I I like compliments, but I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the compliment. But again, knowing how that is done, I don't trust when I see anyone else getting, getting recommended on that. So we took a different approach to say, okay, yes, we actually do allow those, those, those other methods of, you know, we have three steps to our, to our, to our reputation system. One is I can claim something. I can say, Hey, I'm Greg and I'm good at Photoshop. So, okay, you can trust that as much as you trust me, either knowing me or not knowing me, Um, you can get someone to then confirm that. So I can, you know, I can get my former boss or a client or something to say, hey, you know, yes, Greg is very good at Photoshop. And again, you can trust that as much as, um, as much as you want to. But the third step is where we really differentiate ourselves, which is we take an objective view of, okay, well, let's actually give Greg in this case, a a skills assessment on Photoshop, and let's see how much he actually knows. And those, you know, the 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 record of that is available if I wish to show it. So, in other words, I can say, "Hey, I say I'm really good at Photoshop, but I'm and I'm an intermediate when it comes down to the the test itself." Or in other cases, so like we work with some healthcare um, staffing companies and things like that, where nurses. Um, need to be accredited to work in a certain state so we can actually objectively verify call the accreditation board and and get that automated so in other words you're not just taking somebody somebody's word for it Um, we're actually turning all of this stuff into quantifiable data and saying here it is you know don't don't just trust us like here's the here's the objective authority and 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 see it for yourself no it's wonderful i know that your value prop
1: is verify talent on demand the fact that you do it the better way And it really seems to be the case. Now, gig economy companies, you know, like Uber, Lyft, Grubhub, and Amazon are famous for misclassifying workers as independent contractors rather than employees. So that enables them to deny workers, you know, collective bargaining rights, healthcare, minimum wage, overtime protections, and access to unemployment insurance and paid sick leave. However, your company, freelancers get affordable health, retirement, and other benefits at no additional cost to the companies utilizing their services. This is so different from other business models in the space. What led you to this decision, and how has it been received thus far?
0: Yeah, I mean it's 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 gotten great reception because it's just such a big challenge for everybody. And you know those those providers that you that you mentioned. I mean, you know, there's obvious um, there's obvious reasons why they're they're unable to to provide for they can't make every single driver or delivery person. Um, a full-time w two employee and put them on company benefit plans. It's like, well, i I completely agree with the the workers that would like that the business model and and the cost model for those things. it's just it's not sustainable. And so what our what we solve is we're we're the win-win in this situation, and it's like it's one of those things where I can't believe no one else is doing this right now, to be honest because, know we we're our stance is okay you can drive for five different companies and you know if if those companies um integrate with career gig and you know as long as you get paid through our platform you can work you know 40 hours a week for 40 different you know you can work one hour a week for 40 different companies run your run your work through career gig and actually qualify for benefits from that and so the minimum is actually 20 hours a week to, to qualify for the, the guaranteed issue, you know, so it's health, life, disability, and a few others. Um, so that's I mean, that's the stance that we take is just, okay, well, we we realize not, you know, the, the business model of the the gig economy is not always conducive to hiring full-time people. Let's um let's let's find a way to do that, as well as you know, on the side of the freelancer, it's like a lot of people actually want the freedom to be able to work for a lot of different companies. And so why penalize them for only working a little bit for a bunch of different places, let them pool and aggregate all their, all the hours that they work and then use that to qualify for benefits.
1: No, absolutely. And I do love your tagline, you know, career benefits, gig lifestyle, choose both. Uh, It really reflects your innovative business model. Do you think this gig economy will last long-term or is it a case of getting in at the right time, maximize profits, then get out and onto the next opportunity?
0: No, I think it's, I think it's here to stay. And I think the, 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 the trick is making it um, a win-win and, and sustainable for everybody. And I think right now it's not, um, you know, to your point, I think the, the, the workers are not getting as much as they, they should out of the, out of the deal. And I, again, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's intentional on the side of the companies. I think it's just a byproduct of, you know, the, the internet economy. It's a, you know, it's a, it was a strange thing (laughs) to have been created right in the first place of this whole, the freemium model. And, uh, you know, you, you get, you get a lot of stuff for free, but you know, what's the cost of free. Right. So I think we're dealing with that in a lot of, i I'd certainly dealt with that in the, in the marketing realm as well of uh, you know in, in various aspects but you know I, so I think what we're what we're coming to is just reconciling, okay well, how do we make this equitable for everybody? And you know we're, we're I think career gig and you know there's there's certainly others working on this as well, but I think we're part of the solution here of just, finding this new way of work. And, you know, like I said, the, the trend of, of more and more people freelancing, there's a reason for that. I mean, flexibility, everybody, everyone that has worked remotely um, over the last several months because of the pandemic has learned that, you know, either either they can or they can't work remotely. <laughs> you know, there's some people that have just decided maybe that it's not for them, but a lot of people have discovered that they can work a lot more flexibly than they ever could. And that's, people on the employee side as well as on the company side. And, and so anytime you have that, um, that massive understanding and realization, I think there's an opportunity here to, um, you know, companies can be a lot more flexible in hiring. They, they don't have to hire so many full-time employees. Um, so that keeps them um, more agile and, and, and able to expand and contract. And on the employee side and, and the worker side, it, it keeps them a lot more flexible and able to actually earn more and do more of what they like. Sure.
1: Now, do you do you think freelancing is more of a last ditch effort? It's one of those things where, hey, I'm laid off. The economy's bad. It's hard to get work. Let me just go ahead and freelance for the time being. Or is it actually a career move where somebody can make an actual living off of this?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're seeing more and more people making a living off of it, and I I think a lot of it does start with, um, you know, hey, I got I got some bills to pay. I gotta I gotta confess my my own experience in freelancing back in you know 2000 to um started out as yeah you know i'm i'm i got laid off from that startup and i gotta i gotta find a way to make ends meet but you know quickly enough at least in my case i you know i, I was able to do that I, I think a lot of people start out that way or you know i mean all the people furloughed laid off in in recent months i think again people are starting to understand that you know what maybe it's not so easy to go back and get a job, or maybe I like working from home and I don't even, I don't want to. And, and so, you know, people are starting to, to discover, well, what could I do if I, if I work from home, what could I do? And I think I think this is becoming, because of the shift to remote work in the, you know, we'll call it the knowledge work space and um, the, those white collar jobs, so to speak, because that happens in such a, a massive way earlier this year, I think a lot of people again got a taste for it and and it, it's now become more understood versus again 10 10 years ago and the, the the last financial crisis, I don't think it hit the the knowledge workers knowledge economy quite as hard.
1: No, definitely definitely. Now Greg, you are the CEO of Career Gig. Who holds you accountable as CEO? who keeps you grounded? <laughs> That's a great question.
0: Well, it, it helps to have great um, co-founders, and so you know, one one of them um, I've known for you know for twenty since actually since the the startup days, so you know almost twenty years now. Um, so you know, having a good relationship, but um, yeah, you know, I think uh, it's it's a partnership, and you know, I'm I'm CEO, and I'm I'm honored to be entrusted with um, with you know, a, a lot of the, a lot of responsibilities in, in the organization, but at the end of the day, I can't do anything without the, you know, without the team and, and stuff like that. So, you know, some of that is, I mean, we have a board, but um, you know, so that's, there's that as well. And we have an advisory board, a, a, you know, a great team of of really experienced people that, you know, that we can rely on for not only for advice, but guidance, but, um, yeah, I think it's a combination of that. And you know, at the end of the day, we're we're a slowly growing team, but it's also the the employees and and the team itself that's actually on the ground doing the work. And you know, I feel I always feel um, beholden to them to make sure that I'm really, I feel like my job as CEO is to make sure that everyone has the the best tools, the best information, and the best, um, you know, just understanding that they need to do a great job. And if you hire great people, then that's really all, that's, that's all I need to do to, you know, to be successful. No one. Absolutely.
1: Now somebody told me a while
0: ago that
1: in order to be a CEO, you have to be a prick because if you're not, your employees will run all over you. Do you agree with that statement?
0: <laughs> well, I've had my days, but um, <laughs> I've been called worse probably as well, but um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm not, but I don't, again, depends on who you <laughs> talk to maybe, but like, I, my approach is not that. And so I think, I think it's a great question because I think to me, there's a balance between that, you know, the, you know, there's, there's a few archetypes I think in the, in the CEO world, right? So like Steve jobs and Elon Musk may must fall on the, you know, the, the prick um, spectrum, let's just say, and and there's others that are a lot more consensus driven and, and all that. And so I believe that there's a, there's a happy medium between that, you know, more authoritarian type view of, you know, it's my way or the highway. And, and I, I also believe that there's a, there's a danger of becoming way too consensus driven. I mean, at the end of the day, people want to know that a decision is going to get made. It's going to get made quickly. And honestly, who knows what the right decision is? I, like, I wish I knew what the right decision was at all times, but I also know that there's power in making a decision quickly and decisively and even if it's the wrong decision to be able to understand that and move on quickly from that. So I think, you know, that to me, it's, it's, it's a balance between, I want to make sure that people understand why decisions are being made. I, I hired great people and partner with great people. So their, their feedback is always valuable, but I I always need to know at the end of the day that I have the trust of everyone on the team to know that if I need to make a decision, I'm going to make it in the best interest and, you know, if, if I have to do that, I do it. And if I have the luxury of time and, and the ability to uh, confer with others, then I certainly will because I, I want the best ideas. But yeah, I, I, I think it's it's somewhere somewhere in between the two. So balance, right? So
1: right, somewhere right smack dab in the middle between a prick and a pleaser. So we can call it a pleaser. We'll have to <laughs> trademark right. that term, right? <laughs> right. <Awesome. laughs> Unleash your inner pleaser, or whatever you want to call it. So before we wrap up, Greg your latest book is the center of experience. What was your inspiration for writing it and what are some of the greatest learnings from the writing process?
0: Yeah. So I think the, the goal for the book was really to, to marry the, uh, like I was referring to earlier that, that I, I spent my career thinking about making sure that we talk well about products and services and brands and, you know, whether it's designing a logo or it's really, you know, full full on branding work or marketing work and stuff like that. So, you know, I spent so much of my time I'll just I'll be honest like I I was I was creating marketing and branding for products that I had no control over the quality of. And so, you know, that that gets interesting because, you know, a lot of a lot of the companies that you mentioned, I mean, great brands, wonderful products and services, there's a few that you didn't mention that you know, had some challenges. And uh, you know, so so the, the problem became, man, what how do I how do I do a great job marketing and branding when I, you know, the, the quality of the product is just not where it needs to be. And so, you know, peeling back the onion, so to speak, and saying, okay, well, in order to make a great product or deliver a great service, you need a great customer experience. And so, okay, well, what what makes a great customer experience? There's you know, there's a number of metrics. And then okay, well, what peeling back a a level further, like what makes a great customer experience, great happy employees, like I was saying, you know, and then peeling that back and saying, okay, well, really it starts with leadership and and organizational design and and culture and and all those kinds of things. So what I really tried to do was say, okay, can we two things? Can we quantify this and can we operationalize this? And so I, I attempted to do both. And and it's a it's a blueprint really. I tried to make it, um, let's say generic enough that any organization could take things from it, find, you know, the measurements to use as well as methods to, to make it so to, to operationalize and everything like that. And, um, you know, I've heard some great feedback from it. I, I want to do a follow-up on it actually to, to talk about some of the feedback that I've heard and even, you know, success, um, implementing some of these things. Cause I think it's what, what I've what I've run into way too much is people talking about how important customer experience and employee experience is. What I didn't see before is, well, okay, but what do I do about it? And how do I make that happen? And so that's really what I wanted to do was, okay, let's make it practical. And, and even if it's a, it's a baby step on the way to something that's real and tangible, it's at least a start to a conversation of like, okay, we get it. We, we've read the statistics on why we should do it, but let's actually start doing it. And and, and and track the progress. Good
1: stuff, Greg. It's been wonderful, very insightful. Very last question here before we wrap up. It's a personal question, just to get to know you just a little bit better. So you're on an island for the rest of your life. You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be?
0: Oh, wow. Um, so one... Uh, wow, okay. <laughs> I should be more prepared for this. So yeah. one one movie um i wouldn't watch it that often but i you know one of my favorite movies is 2001 a space odyssey so just uh, I'm, I'm a kubrick fan in general so nice. I, I'd, I'd watch that once in a while uh favorite book uh probably so probably a novel if i'm on a on an island so umberto echo um Foucault's pendulum okay. um, uh, fan fan of his um and album wow um probably uh, something i could listen to a lot probably something by the beatles abbey road there you go good good pick
1: greg it's been wonderful how do people get in touch with you connect with you reach out to career gig utilize the services and also buy the book
0: yeah, sure. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, always happy to connect there. I mean, please mention this podcast, and um, you know, I'd be happy to um, to connect with you there. Um, you can check out CareerGig um, CareerGig.com. Uh, would love thoughts, feedback, and, and and everything like that. And you can get the book through um, either through Amazon or I have a personal website, GregKillstrom.com. Um, you can access uh, links to to get it there as well.
1: Greg, it's great. I am going to go to CareerGig. And I'm going to be looking for some naked sushi people uh, because I'm throwing a party. So hopefully you guys have demand. <laughs> I don't know about that one, but, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Hey, there's all your goals, right? Two, 2021. and marked it on your goal list. So Greg, it's been wonderful. Have a wonderful rest of the day, a great uh, weekend, a great holiday season, and let's stay in touch. Keep up the good work.
0: All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their
1: objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that
0: will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.